Welcome, fellow traveler. You are now listening to the Tent Theology Podcast. Each week, we have a tent talk where we pursue the renewing of the Christian social and political imagination. I'm happy to welcome to the program today, Kathy and David Peters. Kathy and David are the producers and directors of a new documentary called Postcards from Babylon, which is based on the work of Brian Zand, following Brian around the country as he speaks and talks and critiques Christian nationalism. And it's also a documentary that involves a number of talking heads and academics and experts, including voices that you will recognize from Tent Theology. Brian Zand will be a future guest on this podcast as well, so we decided not to talk too much about him and his story, and we'll leave that for him to share with us in person in the following weeks. The line was a little bit crackly, and some of the internet connections were not great, so apologies in advance for the poor sound quality at some points in this conversation. But this is what the times are that we live in, and I'm sure you will understand and be filled with grace. I figured a conversation with Kathy and David that sometimes goes weird is a lot better than no conversation with Kathy and David at all, and I'm sure you'll agree. Well done on your documentary. That what an achievement! What I, I guess you're still doing it. You're still finishing it up, or? <laughs> Yeah, believe it or not, I was up late last night. We wanted to um, add in what happened last week into the into the documentary. Because um, actually there was a part of it we had pulled out where Pete Wayner was talking about what happens when there's an all-out attack on truth and how ultimately that's going to play out in a bad way and create an unmanageable situation, which... So we had pulled that out because the first response from some people about the Trumpism section that, that I was a little too heavy handed. We're still trying to figure that out. We've sent it to our, uh, the gentleman that's helping us with the streaming premiere who has a good eye for content and also to Brian just to get their, their yeah. uh, thoughts on that as well. So it's kind of hard not to be heavy handed. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you're not, you're not talking to the right person here if you're, if you're <laughs> too heavy-handed uh, yeah. but i know yeah. i i empathize with you where current events overtake your projects yeah yeah i mean i, I just it seemed like well it, to me it was a, a culmination of of something that i think especially of course if you as you watch the headlines and i use a lot of headlines in this scenario in this sequence right. where you know christian nationalism is now like trending people are talking about it it's being identified and described and certainly attached to what was behind what went on and yeah. and certainly gave an ample opportunity for people especially like especially christians that would hold truth um and truth telling in high regard that look what happens when yeah. you say well you know we we wanted the right policies we love the economy but at what price and last week we saw the price um, and certainly the ongoing price, because I think in some ways the church might become even more divided after this, because there are still millions that feel the election was stolen. You are. Tell us about yourselves. Tell us you're the, the producers and the directors of was it Postcards from Babylon or Postcards yes. in Babylon? Yeah. 
which was a, a documentary on Brian Zand's book and travails with Trumpist America and Christian nationalism. So, Kathy, David, <laughs> how do how do two lovely people from Pennsylvania end up making a documentary attacking Christian nationalism? Oh, wow. That's that's a very interesting story. Both of us grew up in very conservative Christian homes. Okay. Um, I'll let David share a little bit about his background. Um, I grew up in a, a very Pennsylvania Dutchish area of Pennsylvania. In fact, we live not 10 minutes from where I grew up. And um, we were very faithful churchgoers, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the whole kit and caboodle, and very much about towing the line so that we look right on the outside. Uh, my parents were, I wouldn't say they were staunch Republicans, but I would definitely say, pretty yeah, pre pretty close, he says. They felt, and it was communicated to my two brothers and to myself, very much that the Republican Party was the party that held most closely to biblical values. Like when you, when you talked about biblical values, what were they? What did that mean to you? Well, just the whole Bible as the as kind of the guiding force of what we do. The Republicans kind of held more to that. Uh, life standards in terms of abortion, communism. So yeah, all of the things that people would say, you know, socialism, anything that was liberal, that was all associated with the Democratic Party and everything that was conservative, which as Christians, we are conservative, um, dealt was, was basically the Republican Party. So in fact, I can almost remember my parents saying that you cannot be a Christian and be a Democrat. So, and I know David heard that in his household too. So I grew up in the Grace Brethren Church, which had a lot of rules and regulations about how we live our lives. I did kind of a detour my junior year of high school, found a guy that I started dating and he was headed off to what's probably one of the most conservative universities in the world, Bob Jones University. Mm -hmm. And because we were dating at the time, I followed him basically. Wow. So I don't know that I really had any idea or much of an idea when I decided to go there, what it was like in terms of the, the stance that they take on how you hold yourself as a Christian in this world. I was, even though I grew up in a Christian home, I still felt like I was shocked at the legalism that was there. My first semester, I so struggled with the rules. I really didn't even want to go back my second semester, but decided I, I, would, I would stick it out. So, and actually it was that first year that I met David. So David was a film studies major. He ended up getting a bachelor's and a master's in cinema communications. When I first went there, I had a totally different major, but I ended up becoming a speech major fell in love with freshman speech class, which every freshman had to take that. And when I stood up in front of the class and quoted my first poem in Flanders Field, the poppies, I fell in love with it. And so <laughs> after, after my sophomore year, I changed my major and became a speech major and finished at Bob Jones. And, and um, three weeks after I graduated, he was two years ahead of me, we got married and immediately moved to liberal Southern California. 
So we lived the first 18 years of our lives there. David has always, always wanted to be a, an independent filmmaker. And so we started on this crazy life. I remember when he proposed to me, he said, you know, if you marry me, life will never be normal. Okay. And if I only knew what that was like, I think I maybe would have thought twice, but it's been this wild and crazy life. I didn't start out with him in the film business. I was a school teacher for a while, taught speech and, and drama and English. And so, but in 2010, he said, would you consider joining me in the film business? So I'm able to use my speech and education skills and writing skills. And when you were a, a conservative a conservative girl going to Bob Jones University, which was even more conservative than you thought. And then mm -hmm. you went from Bob Jones to Southern California and you jokingly talked about liberal California. What what was that like? Were, were you did you feel uh, like a release from your Bob Jones type world or did you embrace California liberalism or did you reject it? What was what was that like to move from the bubble of Bob Jones into California? Oh, it was it, it felt very freeing, but David and I, because we both grew up going to church faithfully, yeah. we were tasked with finding a church. So yes, right. we, we gravitated toward the types of churches in the different places that we lived. Very conservative. Very conservative. Yeah. So um, I think there was a certain, there felt a, a certain safety with that um, because that's all we ever knew. To me, I guess it felt for the first time in my entire life, because I wasn't at home under my parents' rule, and I wasn't at Bob Jones, that we could be kind of free to create our own lives. Mm -hmm. So I think there was a, a certain joy about that, and um, being in a culture where you're outside all the time, because it's always, virtually always lovely weather. So um, yeah, but I think there there was that safety in and because I, for me personally, this journey of, of the whole faith journey, mm -hmm. I would find that I, of the two of us, definitely have clung more to my roots than David. Um, mm -hmm. He's laughing. To say the least. To say the least. So, um, yeah, that's a really interesting part of the conversation. There's, to me, the, the beauty of the faith that I grew up in is something that has been a very stabilizing um, okay. force in my life. I find that when circumstances come where I feel like my world is, is crumbling underneath me, the fact that my faith has been something that I literally have never walked away from, from the time I was five years old, um, that's when I went down to the local firehouse where they had Bible school during the summer and asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I've never walked away from that. And I've, I, there have been times where I felt like it, but, but that's mostly circumstantial. So um, yeah, so we stayed with really conservative churches. It was only when we interestingly moved back to Pennsylvania after my dad fell ill, part of the the trans transformation mainly in David. And then it's kind of leaked a little bit onto me or not even a little bit, somewhat on me happened. Okay. And what's really interesting is Pennsylvania is considered to be way more conservative. I mean, growing up, basically everybody that was liberal in the United States lived in California. So they say, my mom and dad would say, everything that's loose rolls from California. Rolls or, to Southern California. Well, it rolls to Southern California. Yeah. And that California is, is like, um, 
a cereal, a box of cereal. It's full of nuts and flakes. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so anyway, all the all the standard stuff. But I I liked it. I just I've lived I've lived in California. I I, I lived there for a year of my life. So where did you live? I was Northern California for me. Okay, so. not Lots quite as nutty and flaky as Southern, not, but no, but edgier and more dangerous with more guns. <laughs> and that was not a that was not a liberal utopia. That's for sure. Of deeply red, deeply red Northern California. So, so David, tell us about, you seem to be dragging Kathy on this journey. She has not had the angry throw her toys out of the pram moment. Were you, have you changed quite drastically from how you started to where you are now? Yeah, yeah, I would say it had a rather significant spiritual deconstruction okay. and reconstruction. Um, yeah, what, where were you born? What kind of spiritual or social imagination did you have? Um, I grew up as a PK, pastor's kid. Uh, my dad was a Bob Jones graduate. We lived in Southern California as I was growing up. In 1970, my dad, um, his best friend is Tim LaHaye, or was Tim LaHaye, or is, I guess. Yeah. They're no, neither one is longest with us anymore. They were, they were roommates at Bob Jones. And of course, Tim LaHaye has you know, been a huge evangelical leader, written the Left mm -hmm. Behind series and, and Prophecy and and it's in, in so many ways, an extraordinary man. Um, and I've been close to him my whole life. He was Uncle Tim to me. Okay. So um, I grew up right in the you know, epicenter of evangelical mm. Christianity. My dad and Tim started a college in 1970, Christian Heritage College, uh, very much as a reaction that was going on in the country that time of private colleges and institutions starting. Um, you know, in the South, a lot of that was based on um, racial segregation. Of course, that was a big issue with Bob Jones as they were fighting against forced uh, integration at the school. Fortunately, Christian heritage didn't have that negative heritage um, from the very beginning. It was racially diverse, not significantly, but it was very open to people from all races, but very much a reaction to, you know, modernism and, and humanism mm -hmm. and kind of trying to educate right. people from that. So I did go to this, that school one year and then went off to Bob Jones. Um, and for me, from Southern California to Bob Jones was an enormous culture shock. And I thought our church was conservative, um, <laughs> but then I get there. And so much of it though, was just this, the sense of legalism mm -hmm. and that if you don't please God, he's gonna be upset with you. And, and it literally became oppressive to me that first mm -hmm. semester and I, basically had a breakdown. Um, yeah. I still see it as a spirit. It was a trauma induced, you know, I was away from home. I'm a very introspective person. And all of a sudden I started, everything I would do and say was filtered through this strong sense of almost like this voice questioning me, what I was doing and saying, was this right or wrong? And bringing yeah. stuff from the past that, you know, you need to go deal with that. You know, you're not going to be forgiven. And and I didn't even want to be a Christian anymore. I mean, by the end of that semester, I thought, well, if this is what it means. And I'm a fairly, I'm a very laid back person. I'm a, you know, I was a water skier, motorcycle rider, just your typical Southern California kid. And now all of a sudden I just could hardly function. I became obsessive compulsive. I didn't even know what yeah. that was in 1976, but everything had to be perfect. I would arrange things. I would put my clothes away a certain way and obsess about where things were set. Um, I literally thought I was losing my mind, but it was just this, this sense of that God was judging me. And so thus everything had to be perfect. Otherwise I couldn't be acceptable to him. 
I, you know, the next semester I did better, um, but I, it, it colored really probably to this day, there's still a dark hand of that that can reach out every once in a while. Like Kathy said, I went to film school. Um, I worked for a number of years for the Air Force as a film editor and post-production supervisor. I was a media pastor at three different churches up through mm -hmm. 2008. Um, so I've always done film and video work, primarily for other people. In 2007, I started a rather significant time of asking questions about my faith mm -hmm. and found that the church I was in, and especially some of my closer friends, were not ready for that. So on April 15th, I was invited into the pastor's, the lead pastor and the executive pastor's office. And in about four minutes, I was told to go pack my office and, and leave I, under escort. No goodbye, no thank you. It was just, I was gone. And I, in some ways, Kathy struggled with that more than me. It was a shock. I kind of knew my time was limited there. The pastor that hired me left, the new guy came in and I clearly wasn't a match for him. Neither were a lot of the other staff and they were kind of slowly being let go. But just how it happened was very painful. And I just found that, you know, the church, we, we haven't, and I say we, because I was a pastor, we really haven't taught people well how to handle people that think differently. Not at all. Yeah. It's like, if, if, if you're in, we can love you and understand you. But if you have too many questions, or if you're one of them, we don't know what to do with you. And yeah. certainly historically within the Protestant movement, you know, 500, four or 500 years ago, I would have been burned at the stake for what I was questioning. Uh, but now I was just kind of ejected from my spiritual community and, and treated with uh, suspicion because of mm -hmm. my questions or even what I had started to, to believe. I mean, when you start questioning um, the existence of eternal conscious torment, you question atonement uh, mm -hmm. theories, um, yeah. question, you know, LGBTQ uh, issues related to scripture. I mean, those are all like <laughs> fighting words. And so yeah. Um, so during that time of all of my change, I, I was, I ran, ran into an author, uh, Greg Boyd, and he wrote mm, the book, Myth of yeah. a Nation. You're probably yeah. here with him, probably mm -hmm. even know him. Um, and for both Kathy and I, we read that, I don't know, that would have been like 12 years ago. And that really impacted us um, in terms of this notion that our faith and flag have been put together in ways that really should make us uncomfortable, but we were completely comfortable with it. Can and I, can I ask you, when was the, was this the first time that you'd ever encountered anybody putting some kind of thin wedge between patriotism and Christianity? For me, it was David read the book and started talking with me about some of the, <laughs> the things that he was talking about. And yeah. I immediately, it's something in my spirit said, oh, we can't go there. So, but he just kept encouraging me to read the book. And in the preface of the book, I still remember this. I still remember where I was sitting on my couch. Really? Wow. I remember reading the preface and thinking to myself, I still don't know if I'm ready to hear this. Hmm. So, but I thought I've, I've got, I have to challenge myself to at least have an open mind to the concepts that he was going to present in the book, because yeah. I don't want to be a blind patriot. Um, and it was a hard book to read, but it was, like you said, it was really for the first time in my entire life that yeah. I ever realized that we as Christians 
in the United States, we have combined the cross and the flag and the church and politics. And, and it was, it was a total wake up call to me. Hmm. Yeah. But I was afraid when I read it because I thought if, if this is, this is true. If this is true. What will happen to me if I believe this? I know. And what will happen to my friends? And and what if I yeah. bring this up to people that, to like to my mother? So, and my father at that time. So how do you, how do you, and and that's kind of the story that, that continues to this day is, is how do you, when you feel like things have enlightened you and it's, it's worth taking a look outside the box, what do you do with that? Yeah. So Scar. that for me was, was really yeah. the beginning of, yeah. of opening my mind you know there's this patriotic christianity it's not peripheral to the concerns it's right at the heart mm. of the american christian identity to the extent that to have to question patriotism is heard by your family and friends as questioning christianity itself yes yeah. Yeah. and that is a story that happens again and again and again it's not it's not at the edges it's not an optional thing it's the mm. beating heart mm. of no the and, imagination and, yeah. but, but see the challenge that it presents is and, and really that's the crux of our film is you have two choices. You can, as David says, be a prophet and get the word out about this and let the chips fall where they may. Um, but what happens when you do that is you, you lose friends. You lose yes. friends. people do not understand you. And there are, there's like a spectrum of people. They're willing maybe to listen to you. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, it's like, oh, don't don't talk to me about about what you're saying. And a lot of my family is still there. It's like they're yeah. they are so blinded by this. And, you know, to be totally honest, thinking about releasing this film, I, I know that some of my family members will will not understand. I'm talking about an extended family, a lot of whom still live in this area. My mother okay. is um, I don't know that she she'll be able to to she conceptualize. Would, no. My mother has dementia. But yeah. but uh, yeah, so it's a it's a tough place to be. What do you do with that information? So how did you get from Greg Boyd to Brian Zand then? Because so you started reading this book. It started to rock your world. Yeah. Yeah. Because with Greg Boyd, I had I, w I was a pastor in 2004. Mm -hmm. and I read in Christianity Today about him doing this sermon series on myth of a Christian nation. Yeah, that was during the the uh, George W. Bush re-election cycle. And there was all this language about taking America back for God. So he did what was going to be one message, and I guess it turned into four. Mm. Um, so I remember at the time thinking, well, I don't agree with him, but I, I, I felt a sense of admiration that he would take a stand, and he lost, right. you know, 1,500 people left his church. Um, yeah. So, so yes, yeah, as, as time progressed, I, I would listen to Greg Boyd, Weekly. I mean, I, I would go to the gym and it was like my time with Greg Boyd. And so he really helped shape my my um, theology in a lot of ways. Um, and so it was in 2015. Kathy didn't like Greg Boyd because she thought he was just way too frenetic. He's Greg, this talk, I, 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 he just, <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> he just goes at you. Um, caffeinated, over caffeinated. Yeah, over caffeinated Greg Boyd. But he's, you know, he's just, Brilliant. brilliant. He's a brilliant man. Um, so Brian Zahn, a friend of mine gave me a manuscript his from his book, Farewell to Mars. He's an author and Brian had gotten my friend JR a manuscript yeah. to, to write an endorsement review. And my friend brought it to me and said, you will like this. It's an amazing um, book. Which yeah. I did. 
Yeah. I loved it. And I got his email address and we had a, about an hour long conversation back in 2015. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even know who he was and that he was, you know, he's kind of a big deal. Yet he took a whole hour and just, you know, let me chat with him. And um, so then we started listening to him, both Kathy mm -hmm. and I. And okay. we have for years, we've listened to Brian. And yeah. he's been as, you know, a lot of, I've changed a lot of what I think and believe. Brian's been some common ground for us. Mm -hmm. um, Cause like, I'm a real fan of Richard Rohr. Kathy doesn't really get much from Richard, but Brian, his work and his writing and certainly his teaching is a good common ground for us. And it's certainly okay. us in many ways. Yeah. So um, when he came out with his book, in 2019, in January 2019, Postcards from Babylon, um, I got a copy almost right away yeah. and read it. And when I got to the point in the book toward the end where he said, during this, this Trump era, I, want to, I wanted to write something so someday I could tell my grandchildren that I, I didn't sell out. I said something that I, I recognized that certainly this wasn't just it didn't just happen during Trump's era. This has been going on for decades, mm -hmm. um, but it was time for me to say something in writing. So when I read that, I really, from an immediate yeah. perspective, I thought, well, I want as a filmmaker be yeah. able to say the same thing. Yes. So I don't know. I probably waited a couple of months and I mentioned it to Kathy and then I reached out to him and we started, we had a, phone, a couple of phone conversations and he seemed open to it. I mean, he didn't really know us at all. He I, I think we sent him something to, mm -hmm. to look at. I think our, we did a, a project on Christian unity and we sent him that. So he kind of knew that we were, you know, reasonably good. It, it, yeah. <laughs> we weren't flakies. Um, so, so then he said, well, if you really want to do this, I'm going to be walking the Camino de Santiago again with my wife, Perry yeah. in September and October. So come join us. <laughs> Um, and he said later, that was kind of my vetting for you. I figured that if, if you guys would come and join us for four or five days, then you were serious about this project. And right. we felt that it would be important for us to have a relationship with him mm -hmm. because we knew to do the film right, we would have to impose on him quite a bit and ask for a lot of his time. Because um, we didn't want it to just be, you know, one interview with Brian and then we, we wanted him involved. In fact, had it not been for COVID, he would have been far more involved mm -hmm. in the production of the film and being on, like we were, our interview with Walter Brueggemann, we had to cancel that twice, once because of weather. We already had tickets booked. Brian was flying up there to Michigan to, and um, his, uh, Walter wrote the forward to his book and they have a good yeah. relationship. So we had to cancel that and COVID, um, Walter just didn't feel, you know, he's, 91 yeah, now getting on there yeah yeah so he didn't feel comfortable so we did a zoom interview um and when you see the film we getting walter on zoom and helping him figure that out was quite a task and we did a little we had a little fun with that and evidently he's okay with it we sent it to him and he didn't say anything that he thought we were i think it's i think it's adorable people say we just love that because here you have this you know brilliant the old testament uh, the theologian the best scholar in the world. Yeah. Fumbling yeah. <laughs> with his microphone and trying to get his screen, you know, he's, he's got the screen like this, you know, and we well, yeah. got to get so we can see your face. And... <laughs> well, you collected a real, tell us about some of the other people you've, you've, you've collected for this documentary. It looks like a real who's who. Yeah. Kristen, Kristen Dumay is, um, that, oh my gosh. Um, She's a, a friend of this podcast. In fact. Oh, wow. Oh, 
Well, yeah, I think I noticed that she was on. Yeah. Because I looked at the list of some of your people. Yeah. So we had a, a, a brief time in, was it early fall that uh -huh. we traveled out to? Uh, it was September or yeah. late October. So early fall, yeah. um, COVID was kind of releasing its grip on us here in the United States. And, and uh, she lives within driving distance about 15, 12, 14 hours. Yeah, about 14 hours yeah. to get out there. But we had heard about Jesus and John Wayne, and we were looking for, you know, one of the challenges with creating documentaries when it comes to the Christian world is finding women. <laughs> so yeah. we had been. And people of color. And, I mean, and they're color. out there. It's yes. just that there's so many white men in the space. It's easy to, to jump on board. Oh, we got to have this. This is, oh, I guess we don't really have room for a woman or a person of color. And in this yeah. film, I, we don't have time to go into it. It was, there was some aha moments we had about, for me personally, about, you know, sexism and, and racism and my own white superiority and blindness to some things as it related to how I was emphasizing thought leaders from a, a more targeted male space. So, but anyway, we found we found Kristen and reached out and said, if we drove out, would you be willing to sit down and, and allow us to interview you? And she was talking about rock star. I mean, literally the themes of her book and how she shared with us, it was just it, it was just perfect. So Kristen is fabulous. David had Well, and she's like Oh, since then. Oh my gosh. She's so smart. And, right. and we filmed it outside and she was just like, you know your next door neighbor kind of person, so friendly and, you know, kind of unassuming, very approachable. And then she starts talking and it's just like, in fact, I, it probably IQ, she's probably the smartest person in the whole movie. I don't know, maybe Walter would be a little smarter, but she just has this, this look about her that is, is it's kind of like, don't mess with me because I really know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but in a, yeah. in a gentle, kind <laughs> way but she knows that she really is good yeah. at what she's communicating and she truly believes in the message you know because as yeah. the byline of her book is you know how um a faith was corrupted and fractured a nation yep i mean that's what's happened and we see it last week we saw a corrupted faith and a fractured nation come together yeah. on the news for the whole world to see and another person that we interviewed for the film the it, this is just another one of those crazy stories. We had heard about this professor from Gettysburg College. And of course, being in Pennsylvania, we knew that would be driving distance. So uh, we reached out to him. He is a, a, a professor there and um, of history, yeah. yes, of history and um, and Africana studies. Yeah, Africana. So um, so we we had this wonderful conversation with him on a Friday afternoon. And we said, you know, we'd love to come out and film an interview we, interview with you. You know, when can we possibly make this happen? And then just offhandedly, he mentions to us, well, I can't do it tomorrow. And we kind of looked at each other like, well, we weren't thinking tomorrow. Well, it was the 4th of July. Yes, it was the 4th of July. It was the next day. And he said, actually, I'll be at I'll be at Gettysburg, the, the National Park there. And I'm going to be holding up some Black Lives Matter signs and some signs kind of challenging people's understanding mm -hmm. of of some of our founding fathers and their their role in in the country We're and hoping to, like he, he said tell both sides of the story right so, so so he went to the three major monuments one being the virginia monument where robert e lee stands basically at the highest point probably of the whole gettysburg battlefield um in this enormous and he's there you know with 
placard saying, you know, Robert E. Lee separated every family that came to him as slaves and, and just presenting the other side of the story. So, so but anyway, <laughs> We looked at each other at the same time and said, well, could we come and film that tomorrow? Because we were looking for stories. Yeah, and it's so manna. He said, sure, come and follow with me. So follow me. So he had, actually, he had two bodyguards because he's done, he does this on a regular basis. So What's we- this guy's name? I don't think you mentioned his name. Scott Hancock. Scott Hancock, okay. Scott Hancock. So we got up at the crack of dawn, drove out to Gettysburg College, followed him around and watched, and we don't want to give it away because the, the, it ended, ended up being a really big part of the film. And then we did, we did travel out at, a, at another time and filmed an interview with him uh, there in one of the, the beautiful buildings there in the at the college. And he's just, oh my word, just such a gentle spirit and really lends a, a pretty remarkable voice to the whole conversation about racism. Yeah. So um, that was just, that interview and, and that experience was just, was well, just a godsend was, for the film. There was high tensions because you know, over the summer, as you may have been watching the news, there was all the controversy about Southern Confederate hmm. uh, leaders and their monuments and the dude on a horse in every city that had connection in the South with the, with the uh, Civil War. So there was, um, Antifa was supposed to be there. And so there was concern by a lot of, nationalists that um, a lot of them armed militia. I mean, mm -hmm. guys with their AR-15s. And so when all this, this took place in front of the Robert E. Lee Monument, it was, it was tense. Yeah. I mean, really tense. I mean, the police all arrived and then we went to the North Carolina Monument and then what took place there, we don't want to tell you because it's in the okay. film. It was, I okay. mean, you, as Scott Hancock said, most people in America aren't like what you just saw. Um, it was spilling out over the edges, but he said, it doesn't mean the river's not there. Yeah. Um, and we spent yeah. about, what, an hour and a half afterwards mm -hmm. just talking with him and his two black friends. One was Haitian. The other one was just a recent retired uh, police officer and just doing what I've been trying to do since the George Floyd murder that just totally set me back is listen. And, and hear from people of color that stories that I just, you just have no idea. I mean, I, I was so blinded by my own white privilege and continue to be, I know, but it's, that was a, that's, that's part of what we feel this film will be about is helping people say, oh, maybe it's time for me to do some more listening rather than feeling like I have this race thing all figured out. Is um, this an indication of where you're going to go next? Do you, do you have a sense of the trajectory that postcards from Babylon is leading you on? Uh, well, I do. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure Kathy does. Um, I would like to do a documentary on the whole subject of spiritual reconstruction and deconstruction, reconstruction. Um, right. Bumped into three authors re recently. One wrote a book called Religious Refugees. And he somewhat tells his own story in there, but he's a licensed therapist. So he looks at it from a mental health perspective and the trauma of losing your faith. Yeah. So often, you know, myself included, when you go through this time of questioning, you're treated by people like you're running from God and that you're being disobedient and, right. and right. arrogant. I mean, I don't know how many things I was told when yeah. no, I was desperately seeking because the God that I had been taught to believe in just didn't make sense to any, to me anymore. Yeah. And it was bad for you. It's bad for human life to grow up that way. 
Yeah, because there wasn't yeah. room for doubt. There wasn't no. room for certain types of questions. And I realized how unhealthy that was. So anyway, he's written this book. I've bumped into two other. You might have heard of David Hayward, The Naked Pastor. Mm -hmm. um, he does these incredible cartoons, but he just recently wrote a book called Will Doubt Do Us Part? Um, we've had a nice conversation on the phone. There's another author, Lisa McVeigh, that I've bumped into. She's been on some podcasts recently with Brian Zahn, or with um, Brian McLaren, who's just mm -hmm. about to release a book on this subject. So I would like to, yeah, explore that as a documentarian and, you know, look at stories, um, you know, like this gal, Julie, she was part of a big church in Southern California, very close friends with the pastor was kind of part of their lay teaching team that would do, you know, theological teaching within the, the, the church. And she was just, I mean, her story of how she was just rejected from that community was so painful. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as I get on the phone with people that have gone through this, and these are, you know, professionals, they're not young kids that, and to hear their pain, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and they're, intelligent, they're authors, they're, you know, they're, they're wanting to share their stories yeah. and help this, the spiritual community. I mean, there's a, there's a reformation going on. There's change, radical changes happening within the context of the church. Pastors don't know what to do about it in many cases. Yeah. And so the, the tendency is to circle the wagons and the last church I was at, that's what happened. And we just didn't feel comfortable there anymore. Um, now I go to, a very progressive Mennonite church, which I would have thought would have never happened. But I, a few years ago, I've been, I became very drawn to Anabaptist tradition. And I think it was through that, that, uh, in fact, I can't think of his, um, name, but he's a fellow UK citizen. Um, he wrote the, the naked Anabaptist, the naked Anabaptist. I think that's what it mm -hmm. is. Uh, anyway, um, and so I really, it was through Anna, Greg Boyd and also through being exposed to Anabaptist tradition where I really started to believe that Jesus truly meant that we're to love our enemies, that meant even our nation's enemies as it relates to yeah. us as Christians. And so going from someone that was very extremely comfortable with Christians in the military, having worked for the Air Force for almost nine years, now being very convinced um, yeah that Jesus has a much better way than us contributing to international um, excursions of military by the U.S. So, Well, uh, Stanley Harvass, who's a, I'm sure whose work you've become aware of, yeah. he, um, he often says he's, he's invited to teach theology classes to first year undergraduates. And he says, we can't do anything until I convince you of nonviolence. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. We can't do anything else. That's the first thing we're going to do. Wow. We talk about the Trinity and about Eucharist mm. and because to be honest, that's at the heart of the whole thing. Mm. Wow. And uh, yeah, it, I, yeah. I mean, as I look at how it's shaped, because as I think about God and God's wrath, I, as I think about how I've rethought the cross and what even the message of the cross was, it, it was a message of nonviolence that Jesus would rather die than kill his enemies. And that you've, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, those that are involved in violence. So it's really helped shape this sense that people that still feel that way and feel the way I used to, they are, and I was, a victim of a system because that's what the system taught is this is how you fix things by, by fighting and killing and yeah. this, this top-down um, power and coercion versus the kingdom of God. And it's, 
I taught it, was taught it growing up. It was a seed. It's planted inside. It comes from within. Yeah. Um, it's something we don't enforce, but it's something we embody. And I learned that from Brian Zond. <laughs> yeah. The systematic, I, it's so interesting. I mean, I mean, look at you both. You grew up in Christian families. You have a, a Christian pedigree to both of your families. You went to university. You literally went to a Christian university and have university degrees in Bible and Christianity. And the first time you ever heard that perhaps you shouldn't kill in the name of your nation was 12 years ago. That's what systematic evil looks like. That's what it looks like. It's not because you are bad or ignorant. Mm. It's that you just had no options. You were never once offered the most basic option. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember it would have been in shortly after we left the church, 2008, we were, we kind of, after that painful experience of being ousted, I don't think we went anywhere for like six months. And then we started going to a big mega church in our area so we could kind of hide in the back. And I remember being there on a 4th of July and they did a, a whole song about freedom isn't free. And they had pictures of their veterans up on the screen. Hmm. And then at the end, they went to pictures of the cross. And I had such a visceral reaction. I mean, yeah. two things came to mind. One is if I was on the media team of that church a few years earlier, I would have made that video and maybe made it even better. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. But the second thing was it just, I literally, it was like, there might as well have been like pornography up on the screens. I that's, mean, that's, the, that's how I feel. That's exactly, I use like, that same oh. analogy. It yeah. just, it's like, no, this, this can't be. And yet we, the vast majority of evangelical Christians across the country would never question that. Yeah. And it, and it isn't until someone plants the seed in your mind or God plants that seed in your mind that you start to, to rethink that. And, yeah. you know, for a lot of Christians, that's, that's heresy. Mm. So, and I think it all boils down to, or it all goes back to this idea that, you know, we, we were created as a Christian nation and we are a Christian nation. And one thing that I typically ask people is, okay, so what makes a nation Christian? And most people say, well, it was founded on Christian principles. And I said, well, if that was, if that is true, and I believe it was, um, I think there's some debate about that, but I believe our country was founded on Christian principles, some of them. Um, but yeah, William Penn. And right, I, there you go. Yeah. So, but if you play it out and you ask now, are we a Christian nation? So, and if people say yes, well then what are, what are the hallmarks of a Christian nation? Mm -hmm. And that's where it all starts to fall apart. Because mm -hmm. to me, when Jesus did his work on the cross, this became, it, God doesn't, to me, God doesn't work through nations any longer. He works in individuals' hearts. So, America is a nation where there are a lot of Christians, but that doesn't make America a Christian nation. So somehow when you, when you, it's almost like the Trinity, it's like, wow, I can't grasp that. But if you can't grapple with that, that yes, I may maybe a really committed Christian, but that doesn't, and there may be a lot of us, but that doesn't make America Christian any longer. If anything, it's, it's about as post-Christian as you possibly could get. Yeah. But we hold on to that. America's a Christian nation. Like it's. Yeah. So you mentioned, Kathy, the, the seed that that might get planted. And I, I hope and I think that this documentary might be, at least for some people, right? It's one of those seeds. It's going to be. You know it's going to be. So this is going to be, this, is, this documentary is going to be somebody's Greg Boyd. 
It's mm. going to be somebody's Brian's oh. ad, right? Yeah. I like so it. where can we find it? Where tell us as we as we come to a close of this conversation, tell us, Kathy, where are we going to find your amazing movie? How well, find it? yes. So on January twenty first, the okay. day after the inauguration of Joe Biden as our next president, this film will be live streamed around the world. So in every time zone at 7 p.m. So starting in Australia, New Zealand, all the way to Hawaii, okay. I guess it is, you will be able to watch it through this streaming premiere. So okay. tickets are available at live.postcards.doc. There's a trick, I'm sorry, dot com, live.postcards.com. So um, if you go there, uh, it's not just the film. It is the film followed by a panel discussion with a lot of the people that we interviewed for the film. So we've got John Fia, who uh, is not on the panel, but he is a uh, history yeah, he professor. Didn't, he, he didn't make it. Yeah, he didn't make it too. But he's a history professor from Messiah College. We have Pete Wainer from, uh, he's part of a think tank in Washington, D.C., of course, we have Kristen uh, Dumay. We have Walter Brueggemann is not on the call afterwards, but we have, um, yeah, Kristen was on. It. Kristen and was on. Shane Claiborne. Shane Claiborne, Lisa, Lisa Sharon Harper, who is yeah. a, a wonderful advocate for figuring out how we move forward in our our discussion on race. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's an hour, about an hour long zoom conversation with a lot of the people who are actually in the film so this is a whole Dang. event so it's the film followed by that so um so seven o'clock on january 21st of 2021 and you can wow. go to that website and purchase a ticket and if you can't for people that can't actually watch it in that specific time frame that link will be available to you as a ticket purchaser up through the end of February. And this this is really, I mean, that the this Zoom conversation we just did two nights ago. So we're still editing that. The events of last week here in the US um, rocked our world, uh, rocked probably the whole world as they watched what was going on in complete disbelief. So I was up late last night editing that into our film because the what happened last week was the the ultimate collision you know uh, yeah the, the ultimate result of christian nationalism yeah and a, a confusion of faith and flag and emphasizing you know partisan politics and and wrapping all of that into the way of jesus and yeah. contorting jesus into a position he was never made to, to fit into so yeah. we wanted to make sure that was part of the film so we were just editing that. So the film literally is going to have things within it that will be a week old by the time there's the ink is still, is still yeah, drying. The ink is still drying. <laughs> Hot off the presses. And and in the future, will, will people be able to purchase this or send it to their friends? Or presumably it's not just a a streaming service that will disappear. Well, we're working on DVD wrap art right now, so it will be on right. DVD. Right. right. Perish the thought because that's standard definition, and I just the idea of that because it's really I, I fact Kristen Dumay called it a gorgeous documentary, and I right I, uh, great because there are some, cinematically there's some pretty cool stuff in it. Um, so yeah, it'll be available on DVD. It, it there'll be you know ultimately it'll probably it'll be on streaming. We'll probably have it on a lot of our several of our films are on well. 
Amazon. Yeah, Amazon Prime or Amazon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then we have a publicist that's pitching it, you know, like to Showtime. We, we'd like to pitch yeah. it to Netflix. Yeah. Because um, there's, of anything that we've made, this, at this time, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just like, it, it, our film couldn't be, as Brian Zahn said, unfortunately, this film is very timely for America. And I think for the world, because nationalism is everywhere. I think if, if, if you don't think that Christian nationalism is a, a serious and growing concern, then you, you either don't know how to read or you live under a, a rock somewhere. <laughs> hmm. it's, yeah. the most, yeah. it's the most uh, powerful and urgent issue facing the West right now. And mm -hmm. it has actually been for quite some time. It's just a lot of people are now starting to realize. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And people can always find us through our website, Global Story Films. And we have a we have a Facebook page uh, for Global Story Films. There's a Postcards from Babylon Facebook page. People reach out to us all the time asking questions. So once this the premiere is over, we or this coming Thursday, uh, people can still reach out to us and follow up with us in terms of how they can see the film once the actual premiere is done. So we're not well, going anywhere. Well, I'd be curious to have a further conversation with you with what you're doing with your tent theology and working with churches. Um, Keith Giles was the host of our conversation and he started, yeah, he, you're familiar with Keith. Yeah. He was just great, but he started something before COVID, um, just kind of faith in politics and being able to go to churches, um, you know, vote common good is doing this. Uh, what's the name of that other, so there's organizations that are emerging, realizing we've got to figure out a better way to equip churches and pastors. Mm -hmm. So there is a pastor, a friend of mine, that's going to be buying a bunch of tickets in bulk so his congregation can watch it um, all virtually and then have a discussion afterwards. So we really, in the first quarter of this year, want to figure out a way that we can get some sort of, you know, it won't be very complicated, but a, a little program out for pastors that want to have this conversation with their churches. Because I think, I just think there would be a voracious interest. Well, I, I have, uh, as listeners of this podcast will know, I have recorded a lot of material that I'm sure we could do something with. Yeah, <laughs> including so Bible studies, Bible complete Bible studies going through the entire Gospel of Mark from a political theology point of view. Oh, wow. Going through the entire Book of Acts, I go chapter by chapter. I have a whole political theology looking directly at nationalism, patriotism, violence, war, and how those issues play out in Mark and in Acts. So, yeah, there's definitely things I could do or do with your friends. Yeah, yeah, let's um, collaborate more. Very good. Well. Uh, Kathy and David Peters, Bob Jones University's loss is our gain. <laughs> I'm so glad that you decided to reject Christianity and follow Christ instead. That was <laughs> wow. Wow. Cool. Uh, I wish you well, and uh, I'm sure this won't be the last that we hear from you. And I do encourage all of the listeners to, to check out Postcards from Babylon, this, the streaming documentary. Go Thank well. you Bless so you. much Thanks for having, having us, Stephen. We appreciate it very much. Bye. To further support the show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on social media and learn more about Tenth Theology at www.tenththeology.com. Thank you for joining us and God bless everyone.